In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. Welcome to the Daily Memphian's first Tigers podcast. I'm Don Wade, sports writer. I am joined today by colleagues Jeff Calkins and Jonah Jordan. We are going to talk some Tigers football and basketball, and we'll we'll start with football with the American Athletic Conference Championship game this Saturday in Orlando, a rematch between Memphis and Central Florida. Great game last year, as we know, double overtime. Central Florida won. Memphis Seemingly had them this year at the Liberty Bowl, lost 31-30. But now they are without their tremendous quarterback, Mackenzie Milton. Jeff, do you feel like we could get a different result this time? Is there reason for Tiger fans to believe it can be different this time? Well, I think it could have been different the first time, and and that's with Mackenzie Milton. So um, clearly it's possible without Mackenzie Milton. Um, UCF is still favored, uh, substantially so. Um, The quarterback who will be playing has played some this year um and and is good uh, highly recruited and is uh, so um it will still be an upset if they win um but listen they've got daryl henderson and he's a monster and i think they figured out that he's a monster and so yes it 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 won't surprise me i, I sort of think of it as a coin flip they um obviously have that's a 24 game winning streak that central florida is on so why people want to talk about dominance over memphis and i guess that's true right they've beat them one time in history they've been beating everybody jonah do you sense that there's a a level of confidence with this team because they've come close twice lately They, they know they can play with them oh they absolutely think they can play with them they're frustrated they're embarrassed. They lost that game earlier this season. It's something that's driven them crazy. It's something they've watched, something they've gone over over and over again. Um, so I think they're prepared to beat them. I think they think they're going to win, um, but they still respect. They really respect UCF and especially McKenzie Milton. They're bummed he's not playing. They wanted to beat this team at full strength. It's funny. I um, uh, On that, a couple things. One is the one difference with last year is you had playmakers um, – at quarterback and wide receiver for Memphis who were proven big game, whereas we don't really know on the road what this group can do. Um, and so I think that's an interesting question. The whole McKenzie Milton thing is interesting because I generally don't believe in the I want to beat a team at full strength. I think that's garbage. I just want to win. Um, and and not, not only that, I think it's usually garbage from the teams themselves. I do think in this case um, – they would rather beat. They would rather beat him with. I mean, they would rather play him with Mackenzie Milton because they don't want anyone to say it's tainted in any way or anything else. And I think they think they could beat him with Mackenzie Milton. So, but the I'm main thing is not, winning, yeah, like you said. Main, I think generally it's garbage. Like if my beloved Buffalo Bills ever made it to the Super Bowl again, and the starting quarterback on the other team got hurt, I would be dancing in the streets, right? <laughs> and it, whenever a team comes in against the Grizzlies, unless it's LeBron James. Uh, or Steph, because then maybe the kids. I've worked, I want the best player to be out. Yes, I would. I would have loved it if last night Kawhi Leonard didn't play. Like that would be good. So I don't. I think it's generally garbage. It's such a horrific injury to Mackenzie Melton. It truly that is. I think yeah. that I think shapes some of it. Makes yeah. you just feel bad. And then the stakes here are really just pride, because Memphis can't go to a. 
honestly, if Memphis could go to a New Year's Six Bowl by by beating them, which they can't, I would be. I, I would rather play them without Mackenzie Mellon because then then the big prize is there. Now the pride is just pride. Really, you're going to the same kind of bowl anyway, and so and and so to me. That's why I'd rather play him with Mackenzie Milton. But putting a part aside, the fact that I'd rather be healthy, obviously. Something that really struck me this these last, I mean, few weeks, and going all the way back to the middle of the season, is that this team had such a respect for Mackenzie Milton that they wanted him to play. I mean, Mike Norvell loves him. Like he has talked at length about how much he respects him as a player, competitor, how much he likes talking to him off the field. I mean, the guys. T.J. Carter went out of his way. He said yesterday that he went out of his way to send him a message after he saw the injury immediately he saw it he wanted to play against McKenzie Milton I think it's just because they have such a respect for this guy this competitor because they've seen what he has done as a quarterback for UCF team this wouldn't have happened without him well well, let's be clear it's it's pretty amazing that Memphis is even in this situation you lose to Tulane you're not thinking that when you get to the end of the season you're playing Houston to win the West Division title and going to get another shot at UCF you know and 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 let's be clear all of that is not their doing. Uh, a lot of it is, is the way the dominoes fell around them. They got lucky. But I loved what, in that regard, but I loved what Mike Norvell said after um, the last game. And he said, um, after we lost to Tulane and Missouri and everyone else, I told the team that we control our own destiny. Now, in the mathematical sense, of course, they did not control their own destiny. That Generally, it means one thing, that if you'll get to the championship if you just keep winning. And they did not. They needed help. But I loved what he said because, in a sense, what he meant was we control how we react to the situation. We control how we prepare. And I know that sounds like coach speak, but I really do think you've seen teams let go of the rope in similar circumstances. They got their butts kicked by Missouri, and you could just mail in and after that if you wanted. And to their credit, they did not. Well, and that kind of brings up, you know, where is the the program culture that was here before Mike got here, right? Justin Fuente changed the culture, and they went to bowls, and they won lots of games, and Mike has continued it, and they've overcome some adversity this year, and here we are in coaching carousel season, and Mike Norvell's name is at least being mentioned. And I don't know how serious any of it really is this time. North Carolina moved on Mac Brown pretty darn fast, right? Yep. But if Mike were to leave, is the program in a place where we believe that it's sustainable – as long, as long as you hire somebody capable, I'm not saying some huge name, but if, so, you, hire, if you hire some somebody capable, is success with Memphis football sustainable long-term now? I wrote about this the other day. I think it was just a few paragraphs, but I've talked about this with people for a long time um, because last season his name came up and his name's going to come up again. His, if he stays after this season, we'll see. I mean, his name's popping up everywhere. Um, I think he's comfortable right now, honestly, but – Memphis is in a unique position. They, their last, if Norvell goes to a Power Five school, their last two coaches have been stars. They've been up and coming Power Five conference coaches. That's not normal. That doesn't happen. I think Western Western Kentucky did it, but other than that, it doesn't really happen. They're in a place where they feel like okay, we can promote within and pro, promote from within from guys that are respected in assistant coaching circles who have Mike Norvell as groomed who they've worked under him they know what he's doing it's going to be an extension of him pretty much or they can go out and hire the next Mike Norvell the next guy who's going to be that up-and-coming guy that can take take the reins and continue on what he's done here um they're they're very comfortable I mean obviously you want to keep the coach you want to keep him here but I, I don't think that it would be something that they're going to be scrambling over no it, it 
No, very clearly. I mean, we've now proven you can make the transition from one coach to another and continue to win. You have to keep hitting, though, and sooner or later, teams miss. I mean, listen, Florida misses. You know, they have their choice of whoever they want to coach, whatever, and they miss. Tennessee, legendarily, has missed a bunch, right? And so there's no guarantee that the next guy is going to be I mean, Justin Fuente was a tremendous coach. Mike Norvell is a tremendous coach. And um, and so you have to have some faith in the people who picked him, uh, in the administration that they picked him. Those people also picked Tubby Smith. Um, you can yep. – now, the different set of incentives there on, on the basketball side. So I think they, yes, likely can sustain it. But just like going from Paxton Lynch to Riley Ferguson to Brady White, each time is a, well, is it going to happen, right? Are, are we really going to continue to have a star quarterback? Are we really going to continue to have a star coach? It's not that easy to have a star coach, or you wouldn't see so many teams screwing it up left and right. Yeah, and something I think that Memphis fans especially need to pay attention to um, because their athletic department has made this pitfall before is something that Dan Wolken wrote about the other day is that athletic directors are leaning towards hiring retreads. They're hiring guys like Micah Mac Brown or Les Miles because – Oh, those guys have won in the past rather than going. Memphis isn't, Memphis isn't doing that. Yeah, there's, I, there's no there's no way because they know the model that has been so successful has, has been, been successful. Fuente. Plus, it's more expensive if you Honestly, go get. they'd probably hire Ryan Silverfield or someone like that. Is that my, my suspicion? Someone, like that, yeah. someone along that's, those lines. That's my suspicion as well, yeah. Yeah. Chip Long if you could get him or whatever. But I think Ryan Silverfield is is well poised to to do it. I mean, whatever. I and mean, we don't know if Mike is leaving. I don't I – don't, Mike, as he said yesterday um, – Nothing that he's ever done has indicated that he would, um, that he wants out. He's embraced the community, but I have no doubt that he will leave sometime. And it may be after this year and it may be after next year, but he will leave. And then you will, that's the, that's the situation. It's one of the reasons why it's so nice to have Penny Hardaway, um, as coach for the Memphis Tigers. Not only is the program in a different place and so you can hold on, but you know, Penny's not leaving like ever. And it's, it's, it's not, it's not a, it's that's a real luxury um, to know that you have a coach that if it works out, he's never leaving. If you have a coach at Memphis football who works out, he's leaving. Right. I mean, that's just how it's going to be. Everybody wants to win a, a championship. And, you know, Central Florida, what, moved up to eighth in the uh, playoff football rankings. Yep. And they're still undefeated. And obviously, uh, I mean, I think them proclaiming themselves national champions was ridiculous. But having said that, it is a closed game. There's no question about that. And if you're a coach who aspires to to really be in the game, you've got to get to a power five. Right. No, there's no question that's true. Penny Hardaway's arrival has, I think, undeniably changed how people feel about football. Not not that they don't feel passionate about it, but they're just they're distracted. I mean, you know, he comes in and it's all about basketball. I don't think there's the same level of excitement about football that there was a couple of years ago through no fault of the program. But I think it's good. Ultimately, it's good for football too, right? I mean, this what the basketball program does, the weight they have to carry is for the whole athletic department. And we know where attendance was. We know where enthusiasm was. And that has already changed from the moment Penny walked back in the door. Well, that's uh, listen. It's certainly good um, for the university. What's happened with Penny Hardaway? There's no question. It's electric. Is it good for football? I think that's an interesting question. In other words, what we've seen from the administration historically is they focus on one or the other. And um, and what I hope isn't happening or would not happen is that. And I think um, Tom Bowen is so interested in football that it's unlikely to. But 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 
you, you worry about is that they, they become so entranced with basketball again. That's what happened under John Calipari. They were so entranced with basketball that they let the football program limp along. And so um, putting that aside, yeah, this is it's, – it's, what's happening with – the Grizzlies have been really good. But they're not as exciting as Penny Hardaway. There's been nothing that's been as exciting as Penny Hardaway in the city since the day that he was announced. And that probably includes the opening of Trader Joe's. I mean, there's literally <laughs> been nothing that has, has enraptured oh, come on. the Trader, community. Trader Joe's was huge. <laughs> that, that has enraptured the community like Penny Hardaway. Yeah, the, uh, I don't, I, the reaction since then has reminded me of the days of Cal Perry, the days of those days when the form would be filled and people would be so excited and it's – Changed a little bit with social media, I think. But going back to what you were talking about, about football, as long as Tom Bowen is here, I don't expect Memphis to shift away, focus from football, because, I mean, it makes the money. It makes the TV deal. It makes the the chance to maybe get in a new conference in a few years. I mean, that's something that's been talked about a lot, and you don't do that without a successful football program. But with talking about Penny Hardaway, I mean, he's changed everything. This time last year, I mean, we were covering Myron Jones, Connor Vanover, two guys who – I mean, they're three or four stars. I mean, we're wondering maybe maybe he can get with Tyler, Lomax, Tyler Harris, but they're not getting Alex Lomax in this time of this year. I mean, the number two, number one, whoever you want to follow recruiting rankings-wise, but I tend to lean towards 247 Sports to the number two overall prospect in the nation committed last week. I mean, it's incredible. Jeff, you're obviously writing the uh, the weekly chronicling of, of Penny Hardaway's first season. I'm curious – before we get into kind of the the real on the court stuff and some of the players, what what do you make of his reaction to everything since he's gotten here? And just is he what you thought he would be? You know, the way you thought he would be when he was hired. He's a thousand times better than the way I thought he'd be in terms of listen. I, it, recruiting, I thought he'd be an effective recruiter. Filling the building, I thought he'd be effective at that. Um, the way he's conducted himself publicly, though, has been is one of the things that people questioned. How would he handle the media? How would he handle the attention? How would he would he be willing to give up golf? Would he like all of that? Right. You heard all of that all the time. The fact is, is that he's unbelievably now he's not open in the way that Josh Pastner was. You can't just pick up the phone and call him. Um, but when he talks, he's fantastic. Um, a, he pulls the heartstrings of the populace. Like he, he, he echoes off the old days in a way that's really appealing to people. But then he also talks bluntly um, in a way that's really appealing to people. After the Oklahoma State loss, where he threw himself under the bus, it, let's be honest, the two previous coaches, um, one said, what am I going to do when my players don't make shots? And the other one said, my players need mental exams or whatever it was. And he here, Penny is saying that's coaching. And even that gets old after a while. But the fact is, is that he's he's been great um, in, in terms of just refreshingly great in terms of his willingness to answer any question um, and answer it openly. And and in a way that makes you not that people weren't pulling for him anyway, but makes it impossible not to pull for him. Well, I was struck, too, by the way he just said, I don't want to be a laughing stock. He's aware, you know, I don't think it's really the criticism isn't out there in a big way, but he was aware of what the criticism was from the naysayers coming into this. And it's like he senses the whispers, you know, kind oh, of across the miles. It's absolutely his pride coming through there. No one would accused him of being a laughing stock, but he basically is aware that if he quote unquote fails, he will be accused of being an AAU coach who's in over his head, who never coached and whatever. And so 
Um, it's another reason why I think he will succeed is because he's so determined to not be what the naysayers said he was, that when he answered that question, that's what he was thinking. You're exactly right. That's what he was thinking about. I will not be what the critics said I am going to be. Yeah, I'm just surprised that he went that far with it because I always thought that criticism was going to come regardless of what he does. You're, if, I mean, you lose three games, you lose whatever. I mean, that criticism is always going to be there just because of how he came through to Memphis, how it all happened, where he came from. Uh, I just I thought it was interesting that it bothered him in that in that way. Well, he's a prideful guy, and it's it's to me, it, it, Archie Miller didn't have a good first year at Indiana. No one said, ah, can't coach. They just said it's his first year. He didn't have a good year at Indiana. Nick Saban lost to Louisiana Monroe his first year at Alabama. Nobody said Nick Saban can't coach. John Calipari started like two and four at Memphis. No one said John Calipari can't coach. But because of the way where Penny's root to this job, that will be the instant criticism. And he's keenly aware of it. He's, you know, he's certainly no dummy. And um, so, and he is reactive to it and sensitive to it. I do hope that as, listen, they could lose three out of the next four very easily. And you do hope that he continues to, the the great thing is, is after, after the recruiting class, this all feels like gravy to me. (laughs) Well, it does, but I will say I've had people come up to me, you know, early in the process and they had, you know, wildly unrealistic expectations for the first year, the second year, almost like you could tap into the glory of Penny past and, you know, sprinkle a little magic dust on this team and this program right now and get instant results. And then you pair that with Penny not really having experienced much failure in his life and you get kind of a perfect storm for on one side you know, really unrealistic expectations, I think. And then I think that has that kind of filters always, in my opinion, has filtered down to the local Memphis recruit who maybe gets overvalued and gets more heaped on them than is realistic. Um, and now that they're off to a three and three start, I think you're seeing overreactions on the other side, which is yeah. playing into that that narrative, oh, maybe Penny can't do it. But I think for people here locally, when they get that thought, it's a fearful thing. You know, when, when it was coming from the national pundits, it was kind of that ref, reflex criticism. You know, oh, Clyde Drexler couldn't do it uh, well, and, and all of that. Well, this first season to me always has been your ceiling is probably the NIT. I was there for every game last season. That team wasn't good enough to win 21 games. They weren't. I mean, and you're re- returning the core of that team. I mean, I don't know what – They won 21 games, a little bit of luck, a little bit of, you know, us against them. We're going to rise up. We're going to do it all. Let's be honest. They played a garbage schedule. Yeah, that too. And they weren't good. They weren't. They weren't a good basketball team. Like, I really like Jeremiah. But how much of that last season was, okay, Jeremiah is dribbling for 17 seconds then taking 20 shots a game or something like that. I I just, I, I have legitimate questions about how good this core was. And I think it was unfair for people to say, oh, they can make the NCAA tournament just because you're starting two freshman guards, a guy, Isaiah Maurice or Mike Parks, who probably, I mean, next season, if they were here, or Isaiah Maurice isn't going to start. I mean, he. I think, and I think the point you make about the, the Memphis recruits is, is a good one. Because people know Alex Lomax and they've heard of Alex Lomax and they won state championships and he. People forget Alex Lomax is not Derek was not supposed to be Derek Rose. He he is, you know, when Keon Clergeau or David Nickelberry or some other 
sub 100 or barely what recruit comes in, you don't expect them to turn it around. But because it's Alex Lomax, who's basically the same level recruit, a little bit higher, but basically the same level recruit, we've heard of him so much. Alex Lomax is going to come in. Alex Lomax is a winner. I think Alex Lomax will be ultimately a winner. But because we know him and have followed him, you're exactly right. He's local. He comes in with these expectations. The fact that Tyler Harris has been as good as he's been is unbelievable, honestly. Like, he's been fantastic. Um, But you don't expect freshmen to come in and do that right away unless they are at the level of a Derrick Rose type player. And these two as recruits were not, neither was Antoine Jones. And they're, so they're figuring it out. But if you look at like through these first six games, there's been some really nice moments. Let's just first talk about those two, Tyler Harris and Alex Lomax. Tyler Harris's best moments are hitting three point shots that are far beyond where Steph Curry takes him for crying out loud. I mean, he is so far out there. I mean, you were dealing with a, Small margin of error on that, number one. And then there are some other things about his game that I don't know that it's realistic to think they're going to change a lot. He's going to have trouble defending bigger, stronger players. That's just true. He's a small guy. Um, He dribbles into trouble and turns it over some. And with Lomax, some great kind of wow passes. And you think, yeah, he's, he's going to be the floor general, and he may. But then he'll throw it into the stands too. Well, it's like I mean, he's he's he's. Let's be clear, he's throwing alley oops to James Wiseman, and James Wiseman isn't here, and so that's <laughs> not yet. That's not yet. the that's the problem. Well, and so, um, no, I actually think that what Tyler is doing is pretty translatable. Like if he if he's doing it already, that he's going to continue to hit shots, and if he's scoring twenty six points a game, he, he and struggles a little on the defensive end because he's little, I can live with that. I think with Alex, it's more figuring it out because he really has to run a team and to come in and run a team. Um, yeah, at the beginning of the College of Charleston game, he actually made a couple. He penetrated, got it to the big guys. They couldn't handle the passes, whatever. Sometimes, and this is true for all of them, it feels like they're forcing things. Jeremiah certainly over-dribbling, doing too much, trying to do too much himself. Alex, when he tries to create offense, often does try to do too much himself. Um, but I think for Alex, I don't, I don't really worry that in the long term he's going to get there. I think there's a lot of figuring out to be done to yeah. pick his spots and know what, hey, how can he be effective? Neither thing, none of the things that Alex Lomax and Tyler Harris have done this season have shocked me at all. I watched Tyler Harris last season, Cordova. I've watched him for two or three years. I've watched Alex Lomax for that long, too. Neither one of them have shocked me at all of this season. Tyler was always going to take the shots he's taking. He's going to always make – he's going to make some. He's going to miss some. I mean, there's going to be games where he goes and it's going to be like the last three or four, however many it's been, and there are going to be games where he's 0 for 6. And it's just something like Jeff said. He's got to work through it. But Lomax is always going to take some time because he's leaving high school where he's run the team for, I mean, three or four years. It's had the same players. I mean, the only guy they've added was James Wiseman. So it's always going to be something he has to work through because you're playing guys who are as big as you, as strong as you, as fast as you on a team where they don't really fit as a team yet, if that makes sense. they don't. That roster construction isn't there. They don't have a number of three-point shooters they want. They don't have the type of bigs they want. They don't have the type of team he's played with. Um, the only thing that's shocked me a little bit is his struggling on defense, but I think that is, again, going with guys. He's going up against guys that are as big as and strong as him. Like it, They're older than him. They have more moves than him. They played college basketball longer. It's going to take him time to adjust, and it's going to take time for all of them to adjust. I think Jeremiah Martin's still finding his way along with these three guys, or two guys. I think he's how much can I dribble? When can I go inside the paint and make a shot? Where am I Where am I getting my open threes at? Where am I going to – I mean, he's he's figuring it out too. I think the whole team is figuring it out, and I think that's just fine where they are right now. 
It's funny if you think about the best years of the Orlando Magic when Penny played with Shaq. Everybody knew, okay, your dominant big guy Shaq, your dominant perimeter players Penny, right? So there was kind of a natural pecking order. I think any time a basketball team, whether it's sixth grade, the NBA, or this college team we're talking about, when that pecking order is muddled, you've got a problem. And and I think that's where they are right now, Jeff, is that pecking order is is muddled because you've got the two freshmen playing a lot. Jeremiah, you're right, sometimes is forcing it, but sometimes he looks like he's holding back. Right. Well, it's, 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 and you've got these like Kareem Bruton right now, you can make an argument was a more effective player than Alex Lomax, but how, how do you balance the future against the, you're not going to have Kareem Bruton after this year. I think for Jeremiah Martin, total fairness, he knows he has to be quote unquote the leader, right? So the times that he looks like he's over dribbling or forcing things, that's also Jeremiah trying to be the the alpha dog leader that this young team needs. And that I think that's why it, it only comes from a good place is what I mean is it comes from, I need to show the way, which sometimes mean I need, which sometimes looks like I'm going to over dribble and force up a shot. Right. Well, and there was, you know, it was good intent in that game against Charleston from Alex Lomax when he was trying to get the ball to Tyler Harris, they're down by a point. He gets called for a moving screen on that uh, handoff play so it's a foul and they lose it i mean it was coming from a good place it's like this is the guy that's scoring the points not well that's the way they drew it up but he shouldn't have run over the dude i mean like in the end that was and penny didn't sort of accept penny actually was questioning the call afterwards when i looked i don't question the call he 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 ran him over you gotta stop right know, and that's a freshman mistake and so you could make an argument if you want that kareem bruton who had two game-winning shots last year should have been involved in that play um but Penny's going with the guys he knows and trusts. And I, I don't really like in the long term, you want Alex Lomax is a future here. And so I don't have any problem with rolling him out there. Yeah, it's interesting. The guys he trusts. I think that's something we're going to see a lot of out of Penny going forward is the, he, these guys he knows. He knows Tower. He knows Alex Lomax. And in a better sense, he knows Jeremiah. Um, he's been around him a lot. He doesn't know Kareem. He doesn't know some of these other guys. Like he's still feeling out how these guys play, how they how they react to coaching. Like Antoine Jones, especially, how does he react to being sat on the bench after scoring a game or going in a game where he scores twelve points, shooting six of fourteen from the field? I think that's something that he is also working out through as a coach. I mean, he he's having the same kind of moments off the court as these guys are having on it. I mean, he's figuring out rotations, figuring out who who needs to start and who doesn't. and Figuring out how, when to pull guys and when not. Like Anton Jones is, is like, you can make an argument. He should be on the floor. He's a talented guy. Yeah. But if he's going to be jacking up the shots that he jacks up, his shot selection's horrible. And yeah. so Penny's talked about openly about, I gave him too much rope at the beginning, and now I'm trying to figure out how, how much you don't want to be past their level. You make a mistake, you come out. But you also can't just let players commit the same dumb boneheaded mistakes over and over again and I think he's something he's really struggling with right now and it's not necessarily his own fault I think it's just something that happened is who can he trust to play as a big I mean because if you play Kevin Davenport at the five you're sacrificing a lot of room protection which he doesn't want to do um if you play Mike Parks you're gonna have to slow it down a little bit more if you play Isaiah Maurice he's just he's gotten in foul trouble I think that's something he's also slowly trying to figure out what big can I trust to play extended minutes in this offense I think last year we probably gave Tubby a little bit of a pass on the coaching, you know, put that in air quotes, based on how bad his roster was, right? Well, hammering for the recruiting, for for the players that were here, but, like, you can only do so much with that. Given what's here right now for Penny, and we know James Wiseman and others are coming, how much can we judge Penny as a coach the remainder of this season? I think it's all 
it's not, I'm not going to go down to the wins and losses. That's not, I tweeted this the other day and people got, some people got upset. I'm not worried about the wins and losses of the season. I don't think anybody should be. I don't think it matters. I think you should be happy, happy if they win. I mean, sure, like get to the NIT, get to the NCAA tournament. Maybe you can make a run in the conference championship. That That's not what this season is about. The season is about the two guards getting better. It's about Penny growing and learning as a coach. It's about maybe getting Antoine Jones in a situation where he could have a breakout sophomore season like Will Barton or something like that. It's not about the tournament. It's not. It, I mean, I postseason play would be nice, but I think it's just unrealistic at this point to expect that. I think expectations need to be tempered a little bit to the point where, like, okay, if you're having some of these problems at this time next season, then be worried. But right now, I think it's just letting Penny figure it out in his first season. I mean, I think that's fine. Right. Will they be more cohesive at the end of the season than they are now? The truth of the matter is if it comes down to wins and losses right now, um, they've been favored in three games and they've won them and they've been underdogs in three games and they've lost them. So even if you go by that way, like that, they're knowing exactly what Ken Palm basically says they should be doing. Um, I just, yeah, you want to see progress. You, in the end, you want to see progress towards a cohesive team and um and and by and that will give you confidence in that team going forward and it'll give you confidence in the staff being able to create that team and we're getting short on time but i will ask you this real quick one of the points that has been made is will penny be able to recruit at a high level once the pipeline of guys he already knows has dried up what do you think about that yes it won't be easy as easy i think i don't think landing wiseman was easy but some of these other guys have been i mean like Malcolm Dandridge shut it down after Penny Hardaway took the job. Alex Lomax shut it down. I mean, those guys were no contests. Ryan Boyce was easy for him. I think that on a national level, he's already making waves. RJ Hampton, Jalen Green, guys like that, the number one and two prospects in the class of 2020 are insane. Like they're guys that Penny has a legitimate shot with. And I think that's that's just already he's showing that he can do it. All right. Thank you, uh, Jeff. Thank you, Jonah, for being part of our first Tigers podcast. We'll wrap things up. You can expect to hear our politics podcast in the next week or so. You can subscribe to the site at DailyMemphian.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Daily Memphian. And thanks to the OAM Network. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.